0: what are we 15 chapter 15 or 16 right now and then uh and in the evenings I've been preaching through the book of Psalms I've got about 3 years to go in that I think uh but I think we're in the 30s somewhere in the 30s right now uh but the other thing that I like to do is a lot of times I'll meditate on phrases in scripture uh And so I will take a a phrase that we find so often in the Scriptures, and I will kind of just build a series from that phrase and just sprinkle those out uh, throughout the year. And this year, I've been thinking on the phrase, uh, in Christ. You know, so often we we see that in Scripture, and we kind of just read over that, and I've just been kind of thinking about what, what does that mean? And when that phrase comes up, what does it mean? It's found many times in Scripture. As a matter of fact, it's found a lot in the book of Ephesians, and that's probably where this was born, because I'm also on Wednesday nights uh, going word for word through the book of Ephesians. Pray for me. That's a lot of work. Uh, I, should have picked a, I should have picked John. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 has been killer, but it's been good. And so in Ephesians, uh, Paul starts out the book of Ephesians by saying that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And I've been meditating a lot on what in Christ means. And there's another passage in the book of Galatians chapter 3 where we'll be this morning. Paul wrote uh, this letter, this epistle to the churches in Galatia. Galatia was a region. It wasn't a city, it was a region, and Paul writes to several churches within this region. And the problem that they were having in these churches was with false teaching, false teaching. Uh, The Judaizers, as the Bible calls them, had snuck in and had started teaching these poor Gentile Christians that they needed to observe the law in order to be truly saved. We've dealt with this a little bit in my study in the book of Acts on Sunday mornings, how there was a big argument in the church that, well, these Gentiles, they've got to be circumcised, they've got to do all these things in order to be true Christians. And this poor church in Galatia was struggling with these false teachings, and Paul writes the book of Galatians to address this issue. In Galatians chapter 3, where we'll be today, We find at the beginning of the chapter, Paul saying, listen, you've been bewitched by this false teaching. You're under its spell. You started in faith, he goes on to say, but now uh, you've fallen away from those things and you're in trouble. He gives the example of the faith of Abraham. He gives us some shortcomings of the law in Galatians chapter 3. He points out how the promise given to Abraham, where Abraham had faith and it was accounted to him for righteousness, that promise preceded the law. And now we find in the latter part of the chapter that the law was our garden, our guardian, excuse me, our guardian or our schoolmaster until we came to maturity through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to pull a couple of verses out of Galatians 3. We're going to look at verses 26 through 28 and you can follow along with me. I've got it in your notes for your convenience. And again, for those, of you, for those guys in the tall castle, if I get behind, please help me to keep up. But Galatians chapter 3, uh, verses 26 through 28 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That is our text this morning. Again, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus all in Christ. This morning, we're going to look at three truths regarding being in Christ. Three truths about being in Christ. And notice, first of all, from verse 26, faith in Christ. Faith in Christ. It says in verse 26, "Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus." I want to speak just a moment on the scope of this statement. Isn't that incredible? I love a three-letter word right there in verse 26. It's the word all. I love looking at that word when it comes up in Scripture. I love that word in every language, in English and in Greek. It's three letters, depending on the conjugation of the word. But it's just three little letters, but there's a lot of ramifications in those three little letters, that word all. I mean, think about it. It's limitless. It's absolute, it's far-reaching, it's all-encompassing, it's unconditional. There's no exceptions, all because of one little word, all. Ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So every time I come across an all in Scripture in a, in a verse such as this, I like to think about the implications of it. There's many verses in Scripture which contain that little word all that teach us quite a bit. For example, Isaiah 64, 6, uh, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Not some of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and some of them are good and some... No, all of them. We're all an unclean thing and all of our attempts at righteousness are just dirty laundry to God. Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are no exceptions. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's an important word there. I love what Jesus says in Matthew 19, 26, with God, all things are possible. Boy, that's a good all. He didn't say some things, most things. No, all things are possible with God. And he went on to say in Mark 9, all things are possible to him that believeth. I like Matthew 21, 22. Matthew 21, is one of those promises where you scratch your head and go, is that really the case? Because Matthew 21, 22, Jesus says, And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Wow. That's a big all. All things. He said in Matthew 28, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I like that all too. Not some power, not most of the power, and I'll get the rest later. All power is Christ. Mark 16, 15 is a little humbling, the all that's in that one. It says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. There's no one that's exempt from that. The gospel is for everyone. John 12, 32, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, and he was, I will draw all men unto me. I like that one too, because I'm one of those men. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Titus 2.11 is similar. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Romans 8.28 is one that we claim often. We know that all things work together for good. All things. That's a big all. There's a lot in that one. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need. He's teaching giving. He's talking about their giving, but he's saying that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.13, this is a good all. Having forgiven you, all trespasses. I like that one. All of them. You know, as human beings, we kind of rank sin. You know, but God says, no, it's all forgiven. All of them. And I like that all. First John 1 9 is for Christians, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then 2 Timothy 3:16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If you signed up to read through the Bible in the year, you remember that verse when you get to, you know, numbers. All Scripture. It's profitable. But it is. In our text this morning, we have a a word all that's pretty wonderful also. It says, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Remember, Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to Gentile Christians in the region of Galatia, and they were having some doctrinal trouble, but they were still Christians, and they were, all of them, the children of God. That would be comforting to uh, these poor churches, these poor Christians who Jewish false teachers were telling them, well, listen, you're not quite there yet. And Paul says, no, ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And that word all gives comfort to me because that word all there, it doesn't care where you came from, Yankee, or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. doesn't care where you came from. It doesn't care what you've done. It doesn't care who your parents were. It doesn't care what anyone else thinks of you because it's including you within its scope. You are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And we'll see it in greater detail in a moment, but if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you are a child of God, guaranteed, without exception. And I like that. I like it a lot because I know myself, and I'm not too impressed with me. The older I get, the less I like me. It's true. You know, it applies to me, and it applies to you too. It covers every mistake, every regret, every failure. All are children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And we've all fallen short. We've all fallen short. I think it's good to be reminded of that sometimes, where like in Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages in the Bible, it says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our behavior, our lifestyle in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. All of us, without exception, were on our way to hell and were in bondage to, our, to sin But Christ changed that. 1 Corinthians is another reminder. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. Ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We are all, what an incredible scope that word has, the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And notice what the verse goes on to say. It says, we are all the children of God. Notice not only the scope, but the sons here. That word children, when we say the word children in the English language today, we would generally think of young children. You know, my children are all young. So when I say the word children, I think of kids. And there are words in the original language for little children, and this is not one of those words. The word translated children in our Bible is the word that just means sons. It's just in a general concept. These are sons. These are your your descendants. They're in your family. They're just sons. It doesn't say anything about their age. And in order to realize what is being said here, we have to back up a verse or two. In verses 24 through 26, Paul is making an argument here. He says, "...wherefore the law was our schoolmaster, to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus." So Paul is trying to teach these churches the shortcomings of following the law, and he makes an illustration to help them understand that. Warren Wiersbe, in talking about the cultural reference that Paul is making, he says, In many Roman and Greek households, well-educated slaves took the children to and from school and washed over them during the day. Sometimes they would teach the children. Sometimes they would protect and prohibit. And sometimes they would even discipline the children. This is what Paul means by schoolmaster. But don't read into this word our modern idea of a school teacher. The transliteration of the Greek word would give us our word pedagogue, which literally means a conductor of children. This was just the servant or the slave in the household that was responsible for taking the kids to and from their classes and keep the discipline kind of like a nanny. And Paul is telling the churches in Galatia that the law's intent was to bring people to Christ. The law did not redeem them, it regulated them. It watched over them. They were not born of the law. They were brought up by the law and raised by the law. The law was their legal guardian until they reached maturity through faith in Christ Jesus. And so the passage is saying that Through Christ, we are all the sons of God, mature sons, adult sons, with all the rights and privileges thereof, and we are no longer subject to our old guardian, the law. When a child would come of age, he was no longer under the authority of uh, the child conductor, the schoolmaster, as we have it in our Bibles. He was free of that because he had come of age. Have you ever considered what it means to be a son of God. Have you ever considered what that means? It's far more incredible than just being a member of the family. And that's wonderful enough. Ephesians chapter 1 launches the book declaring that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And it declares that God, before time began, had a plan for all those who would receive Christ, for all those who were born again as sons of God. It says that having predestinated us unto the adoption of children or sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God placed us in his family, in Christ, but he's given us a position and privileges those of an adult son in his family. We're not little children in His family. We are given the privileges of maturity and adulthood. Romans 8, 15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, we may also be glorified together. Our position in Christ, which has been predetermined for all believers from before the foundation of the world, is an incredible position to be in. It's far above any angel. It's the position of an adult son in God's family. And all the privileges and all the responsibilities that come with that, all of this by Christ. He is the Savior. We are all the children of God, or the sons of God. Well, how? Well, by faith in Christ. I'm sure it's already occurred to you. But John 1.12 says, As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. That begs the question, are you a child of God? Have you received Christ as your Savior? He's purchased your pardon so that you could enjoy the position of an adult son in God's family. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. God demonstrated His love for you when He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die in your place. Romans 5.8 says, God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And to understand that, you have to realize, as we've already quoted this morning, every single person is born a sinner. No one is righteous. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. And according to the Bible, the penalty for sin is death, and with that death comes an eternity in a literal place called hell. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And as we already saw in Isaiah 64, All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, which means no matter how much effort you put into it, no matter how many attempts that you make, you cannot be righteous on your own. You cannot overcome the curse and the guilt and the shame and the weight of your own sin because everything you do is tainted by that sin. And so what did God do? Well, He loves you so much, He sent His perfect Son to pay your penalty to die in your place. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Jesus went to the cross with one purpose, and that was to pay the penalty for the sin of all mankind. He died in your place. He bore, the Bible says, your sins in His body on the tree. He was buried, and three days later He rose again from that grave and ascended to sit on the right hand of His Father in heaven. He paid your penalty with His life, and if you will just accept that payment for your sin, God will give you the free gift of eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the Bible goes on to say that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You can receive that gift you can accept the gift that Jesus has provided for you. The Bible says, Romans 10, 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll call on Jesus in faith, He'll forgive your sin. He'll save you from its power. He'll save you from its penalty, which is hell. And He gives this promise that I love so very much. Jesus said, Him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He's never once turned anyone away. Never once. And He never will. Have you received that gift? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for salvation? Are you a child of God? Faith in Christ. Secondly, verse 27, clothed in Christ. It says, "...for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ." As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Notice, first of all, he says, we've been placed into Christ. Well, he says the word baptized there. The word baptized literally means to immerse or to dip. And when we hear this word, we naturally think of water baptism by immersion. But I think the scriptures have more in mind here than that. But let's talk about water baptism just for a second. What is it? Well, just very, very simply, water baptism is an outward publication of an inward transformation. It has no power in and of itself. There's nothing mystical about it. There are some that would teach that it imparts some sort of grace to your soul, but it doesn't. It's not a requirement of salvation, just ask the thief on the cross baptism in scripture is always observed after a profession of faith never before and even here in these verses i find it interesting that paul mentions baptism after faith in christ apart from faith in christ you know what baptism does it gets you wet that's all it does but baptism for the christian is a public expression of what has already been accomplished it's an opportunity for you to profess to all that Christ has saved you and you are a child of God. It's a beautiful picture of being identified with Christ in his death by being submerged in the water. Why is that a picture of his death? Because if the pastor holds you there, you will be dead. Right? You're you're dead in Christ. And then you're raised back up again identifying with his resurrection and even as you leave the baptismal tank you are walking in newness of life with jesus christ it's a beautiful picture of being identified with christ but it's just that it's a picture it's a an outward publication of an inward transformation but that's not i think what the spirit is trying to tell us here because here it says we're baptized into christ and that is a work of the holy spirit that is accomplished at the moment of salvation. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. It is the Spirit that quickeneth is the Bible term. It means makes alive. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God has quickened us together with Christ. It is the Spirit of God that brought your dead soul to life the moment you received Christ in faith. That same Holy Spirit not only made you alive in Christ, but has also dipped you or immersed you into Christ. The Holy Spirit of God put you in Christ and established a bond and a relationship that can never be broken. Romans 8.38 says, I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You've been placed into Christ. You are a member of His body. The Holy Spirit of God puts you there. And having been placed into Christ, you've also put on Christ. Put on Christ. Verse 27 again says, For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. The word put on means to dress or to clothe yourself in, to to wear. You've been saved by faith in Christ. You've been redeemed and washed in the blood of Christ. And on top of that, now you've been clothed in Christ. He is the covering for your sin. He is Your robe of righteousness. You, as a Christian, as a child of God, already sitting here this morning, are clothed in Christ. That is what He's done for you. All of our righteousnesses, the righteousness that the Jews attempted through the law, are filthy rags. But God washed our sins away and clothed us in Christ. And you and I, as wretched and as vile as we are, stand clothed in Christ. And when God looks at us, He sees His Son. That is our new identity, clothed in the person of Jesus Christ. And He sees His Son and He is satisfied. The Christian life is not a scramble to keep all the rules, to check all the boxes, to dot all the I's and cross all the T's, because the Christian life is the Christ life. It is you and I merely living out what God has already accomplished in our life. It is you and I merely living out what Christ has already done. We have been put into Christ. It is us operating within the realm of that new identity being clothed in Christ. It's like what Paul says in Galatians 2. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Now, Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Bible says several different phrases like this. I won't quote them all, but I'll refer to them. We have to what? Reckon ourselves dead unto sin. It's the reality of our new life in Christ. We have to mortify our flesh because the old man died with Christ. In Christ, the world is crucified to me and I to the world. And whether I live or whether I die, I am the Lord's because I'm in Christ. Your whole life is wrapped up in Christ. He is your identity. He is your life. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Abide in me. Abide in him. Walk with him. Live in him and be clothed in him. Romans thirteen fourteen says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof. Do you realize, do you understand, Christ is your goal. He is your aim. He is your identity. Your primary purpose is not to be full of Bible knowledge or to be really pious or a doer of good works. Your primary pursuit is Christ. And those things fall into place after. He is your goal. He is your pursuit. He is your purpose. He is your aim. He is the purpose that was ordained for you before time ever began that you would be totally caught up, clothed and conformed to him. Romans 8:28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We have been clothed in Christ by faith in Jesus Christ. Your whole identity as a Christian is wrapped up in him. And then notice also verse 28, we are one in Christ. We are one in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. Ye are all one in Christ Jesus. What do we discover in verse 28? Well, that God makes no distinctions or divisions. We are all one in Christ. Regardless, I'll just take what it says here, regardless of nationality, Regardless of nationality, discrimination and prejudice were present and prevalent in Paul's day. I mean, you literally had the Jews despise the Samaritans and vice versa... Uh, Gentiles were considered unclean and referred to as dogs. You know, so there was plenty of prejudice and things going on in Paul's day. And then now you had these false teachers that were infiltrating these, these Gentile churches and telling them that in order to be a true Christian, they basically had to be a proselyte, convert to Judaism, and then you'll be a real Christian. It was real in that day. And when one is clothed in Christ, the distinction of nationality disappears. It's covered by the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3.11 says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, but barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. Christ is all and in all, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of skin color, all are one in Christ. You know, we live in a a culture, they're a little gaslighting, but we live in a culture that in spite of what they say, judges a man based on their skin color. They change the goal here and there and the way they do it, but still, they judge a man based on their skin color, based on their accent, based on their ethnicity, and there's no place for that culture in the church of the living God. We are all clothed in Christ, and that distinction disappears. When he looks around this this room... All he sees is Christ. Regardless of nationality, regardless of ethnicity, he sees Christ. And heaven forbid we who are in Christ should neglect to see Christ in a brother or sister simply because they have a different heritage or a different language. That's not the way Christ sees. It's not the way God sees. Romans 2.11 There's no respect of persons with God. Peter learned this the hard way. He was called to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And man, before he even got to the good part of his message, Pastor, the Holy Spirit, they got saved and received the Holy Spirit right there in front of them. He didn't have a chance to give an invitation. And what does Peter say? He says, I perceive God's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter to God, Jew or Gentile. They all receive the gospel the very same way. We're in Christ, and the distinction of nationality disappears. Regardless also of our status in society. It says here, bond or free. Slavery was common in Paul's day. What an incredible message the gospel would be. Think about that. There is no slave or free man anymore. All are one in Christ. Regardless of your status in society, we are one in Christ. Rich, poor, popular, unpopular, educated, uneducated, it does not matter here. We live in a world that ascribes value to individuals based on what they contribute to society. Right? They don't matter unless they, they bring some value to the table. That's why, we can, that's why abortion is so popular. That's why now we're talking about cutting off life support. They're not doing anything. There's no value. That's not how God attributes value to individuals. Because God has ascribed value to you in giving His Son for you. In saving you and placing you into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have been all made to drink into one Spirit. That means in the church we are all equals. Talent makes no difference. Ability makes no difference. Likeability makes no difference. Because God has made us one in Christ. And regardless of how you are treated in the world, here you matter. Because you are vital to the body of Christ. That's the message of the gospel. And heaven forbid we let the world's influence through these doors and ever treat a Christian, a child of God, who's clothed in Christ as if they have no value because of their status in society regardless of status, regardless of nationality, and regardless of gender. This was radical teaching in Paul's day. And we need to be reminded of it in our day also. Because man or woman, boy or girl, we are all equals in Christ. We are different creations physically, but equally we are new creations spiritually in Christ. All of us. And gender is not a distinction. You know, think about this. Ladies, you can be just as close to God in Christ as your husband is. God doesn't say, well, you know, you're a girl, so you have to take two steps back. No. You can be just as close to God as your husband is. Many times, my wife's a little bit ahead of me. Men, you can be just as close to God in Christ as your wife is. Male or female makes no difference at the cross of Jesus Christ. Our roles are different, absolutely, but our value is not. We are all clothed in Christ. The law made distinctions. The temple had partitions, but Christ did away with all of that at His cross. Ephesians 2 says, Now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of the commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Jew, Gentile, bond-free, male, woman, we are one in Christ. You know, the world is pretty confused over gender. And heaven forbid we forget that God's grace is equally available to man or woman. Both are precious and valuable members of the body of Christ. In Christ, there are no distinctions. But we, in our sinfulness and pride, we love distinctions. We love divisions. We like to compare ourselves to others and judge others, and that's foolishness. And sin, According to 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul says, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. God makes no distinctions. He's made us one in Christ, just as Jesus prayed that he would. It's an incredible set of verses. John 17 But Jesus prays in John 17 for us. He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That's pretty one. That's pretty unified. That they all may be one. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. It's a wonderful truth to meditate on, to be in Christ. That all, man, woman, child, it doesn't matter, all can be positioned in the family of God as a son of God by faith in Christ Jesus. All. That's a comforting thought. It's a challenge also, because that word all also means that there is not a single individual outside the doors of this church that the gospel cannot reach. All. There's no distinctions. The gospel's for them too. If the gospel were just given to them, if they would just believe in it, they can be saved regardless of what we might think of them. And to be in Christ means that the Spirit has placed all believers in Christ, identified you with Christ, and given you access to the Heavenly Father by Christ. And you, in Christ, are blameless in the eyes of an almighty, righteous, holy God. And you can have peace with God and fellowship with God and be one in Christ. All distinctions fall away. Because we're all wearing the same uniform. We're all clothed in Christ. The righteousness of Christ. And every single Christian is precious in the eyes of Christ and vital to the body of Christ. And if we could just see each other through that lens, that we are all covered and clothed in Christ, it would change the church. Christian, you are in Christ pursue Him. Live out your identity. He's already done it all. Live in Christ. And treat others accordingly as well. We're going to have an invitation. If you would come and do that for me. I don't have any suggestions for you. I'm sorry.